This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. Today's episode is brought to you by Kronos. Kronos provides HR solutions for the modern workforce and the people who support, motivate, and engage them. They put HR, payroll, talent, and timekeeping on a single cloud-based platform. Learn more about Kronos HR, payroll, talent, and time at kronos.com slash hrswagger. That's kronos.com slash hrswagger. Folks, you already know how much I enjoy a good cigar. I think it's one of the simple pleasures in life. But sometimes, choosing a good cigar can be a little overwhelming. There are just so many brands and types of cigars out there. How do I know the difference between a Torpedo and a Corona? Are Cuban cigars really all they're cracked up to be, or is it all hype? That's why my indispensable resource for cigar information is Puro Trader. Puro Trader is like one of those travel sites that searches the web for the best deals, except instead of flights, you're searching for cigars. From everyday cigars for the casual smoker to the rare sticks for collectors. It's all in a community setting where you can ask questions and read real reviews. Visit purotrader.com and use the promo code NEWS for a chance to win a day at the Porsche Racing Experience in Los Angeles or Atlanta. That's PuroTrader, P-U-R-O-T-R-A-D-E-R dot com, code NEWS. And now, on with the show. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis. Welcome to Kick-Ass News. John Kasich has walked the corridors of power, both in politics, as a former leader of Congress, governor of Ohio, presidential candidate, and in the private sector, as an in-demand public speaker, best-selling author, and a strategic advisor to businesses and large nonprofits. Yet he's seen that the most powerful movements have started from the bottom up, and the solutions happen once we, the American people, become leaders in our own lives and communities. In his new book, titled It's Up to Us, Ten Little Ways We Can Bring About Big Change, he says that the strength and resilience of our nation lies in each of us, not in the White House and not in Washington. Today I'm happy to welcome Governor Kasich back to the show to share some of the stories of everyday Americans doing great things that inspired him to write the book. He says the actions of ordinary people matter way more to this country than who's president, and he also acknowledges the irony that this is coming from a two-time presidential candidate. He talks about the importance of breaking free of political echo chambers and shares what kind of news outlets make it into his own daily news feed. We talk about his uncanny abilities as a political prognosticator and why, at least for the moment, he's staying out of the Republican presidential primary. Plus, Governor Kasich on thinking about eternity, what he'd like his obituary to say about him, and the meditative power of playing golf. Coming up with Governor John Kasich in just a moment. John Kasich is the former governor of Ohio and a former U.S. presidential candidate. As a U.S. congressman, he served for 18 years on the Armed Services Committee and was chairman of the House Budget Committee the last time the budget was balanced. He's also had a successful career as an investment banker, as host of Heartland with John Kasich on Fox News, 
and now is a senior political commentator on CNN. He's also the author of four New York Times bestsellers, and now he's out with his latest titled It's Up to Us, 10 Little Ways We Can Bring About Big Change. Governor John Kasich, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Ben. Well, Governor Kasich, it's great to talk with you again, and I really enjoyed It's Up to Us. It's full of the kind of common sense wisdom that we've come to expect from you. But you say in here, for the longest time, you thought that you were done writing books. And part of the reason is that you say it's become harder and harder to publish a book in today's media environment. How so? Well, I mean, when you write a book, your goal is obviously to get people to read it. But one of the things you also want is you'd like to have a bestseller. And sure. it's become harder and harder to get bestsellers because if you don't have a, if you're not a YouTube uh, figure or if you don't have your own <laughs> show, it's kind of hard to get it out there so people know what it is. Sure. But that I decided that didn't matter. That was too much ego. I just needed to get something out there that I thought could help people to get their power back. It could answer a lot of things about in terms of the way that people feel today. I understand that it was uh, an encounter with two different people on the same day that inspired you to write this book. Yeah, there was a, a gentleman who uh, has a, uh, an aunt who went through a, ter- a horrible situation where her son was murdered, and it was about how she dug down deep to fight off hatred and anger and because she saw it growing in her nephews, and uh, it's about the good that has come out of that, as horrible as that was the wonderful things she's done in the community to prevent other people from getting into the gang world and being in a position where uh, you know, they're, they're out there and not living a life that they were meant to live. And then I ran into another guy who, um, a miracle field, this was somebody who we have uh, really healthy children helping those who have disabilities. And this happened like back to back. And I thought, God, I got to, I got to write about this. I, this is, a, it's clear that I'm meant to do something around these, along these lines. Yeah. The book is full of great stories of just everyday Americans doing great stuff. And I want to read a quote from the book that sort of encapsulates the central idea of it's up to us. You say, quote, we, meaning the American people, matter more than who sits in the White House. Focus less on the presidential race and more on change where you live. Governor, as someone who campaigned pretty hard for president, not just once but twice, surely you must realize that there's a certain amount of irony in that statement, right? Well, look, I, I think the presidential races are very important, and who is president is very, very important, and we mm-hmm. see it more today than in some ways than we have in a very long time. The issues of immigration, the issues of, uh, of growing debt, the issue, I mean, all these things matter, and the tone, presidents set that. Uh, and it does matter who we are for for president. But I also think that we just shouldn't wait around for a presidential campaign and expect all these things to, to happen. Mm-hmm. And I believe that change really comes from the bottom up, from where we live to the top, not from the top down. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that there aren't leaders who can bring about big change, but most of the time, change comes because what we're really doing is we, the people in the neighborhoods, in a community, are telling people, this is what we want. Our elected representatives change the law, but we also don't need to change our country by passing a bunch of laws. We can also change our country, our culture, by what we do individually where we live. I wonder, do you think that part of the problem is that too many Americans think that their civic duty is just limited to stepping into a voting booth every four or if they're really engaged, two years? 
I, I think that it's a very important thing for them to do. Sure. But to me, it's not enough because we're all made special. We're all made for a purpose. And to me, we have to figure out what it was that we were created to do mm-hmm. and get out and do it and live a life a little bigger than ourselves. And this is a handbook that tells people how to do it. There's mm-hmm. some stories of amazing big events, but there's also some stories in here that are not as big. But I don't like to compare one to another because I think they all matter. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people feel like, well, how can I be a change agent? I'm not, I'm not an important person. I'm not that big. Well, you are, and you do matter. And the way you think, the way you handle yourself, the way you reach out to others makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. You say in here that people should know that they are made special, and you also encourage them to become activists and get engaged uh, to start movements. Do you think part of the sourness and anger that we see in people right now lashing out is because they don't feel special? Maybe they feel marginalized and ignored by Washington. Well, maybe they feel like they're victims, mm-hmm. uh, and not just by Washington. You know, their their pay is not great. Um, their health care costs have gone through the roof. Uh, maybe they've lost their job. Uh, I try to warn people not to become victims, but mm-hmm. to be resilient. I think that's important in life. And and I also think that people are, are can be at times quick to dismiss the things that they do in the world that they live in, thinking, well, it really doesn't matter. And I think that's absolutely false, because when you do something that you might consider small, you're changing the world for somebody else and maybe even for yourself. And so, you know, you, you've got special things you should do. Think about it, slow down, and uh, get out of your silo mm-hmm. and, and go forward and, and do some good. And it'll make you feel good about what you're doing. This is just not a one-way street. Mm-hmm. And you say resilience means changing with the times. Do you think too many people who feel left behind are blaming globalism or trade, shifting yeah, I demographics do. I do. these days? I think, I think yeah. it's an issue. But don't become a victim because when you're a victim, you've lost your personal power. Mm-hmm. And life is short. And you don't want to spend a big chunk of your life saying, oh, I have no power. I, have, I can't help myself. And it's up to us, back to the love your neighbor, see what we can do to help those people. We mm-hmm. don't want to let them be in a ditch and be there forever. We want to help them get out of the ditch, and they've got to be interested and willing to put a foot forward so they can uh, step up and uh, recognize the the value of their lives, which because mm-hmm. everybody has value. No, everyone is made special. So think about that. You're special. Those who are listening, you're special. What makes you special? What makes you different? And what are you supposed to do with it? I guarantee you, if you start doing things on that basis, you're going to feel great. Now, you mentioned getting out of your silo. You dedicate a whole chapter to that. Uh, I'm curious, as a Republican politician, is it harder for you to escape that echo chamber than it might be for most people? Well, look, I'm an American before I'm anything else. You know, I may have the Republican Party has been my vehicle, but it's never been my master. And uh, so, you know, the way I look at things are, you know, I, I don't think of it that way. I don't think of it in partisan terms. I think of it in terms of the human terms, the, the way in which I was created, the skills that I've been given. And if I slow down and listen to the little voice, it gives me some direction. If I can put myself in other people's shoes, if I can realize that, you know, my life is 
rapidly coming towards me at the end, it's like, okay, now that I'm here, I have this time, what am I going to do? And we're not looking for sainthood. I'm just looking for (laughs) doing something bigger than myself. And Mm -hmm. I believe nothing good is ever lost. Mm -hmm. And in talking about silos, you actually tell people that they need to read widely and seek out new information. I'm curious how you practice that. What kind of media outlets that maybe we wouldn't expect uh, are in your morning news feed? Well, I scour it really the internet, and mm-hmm. I have all you know whether it's CNN or Fox News or CBS or Apple News or you know I read the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal. I mean, I'm constantly absorbing information. And just yesterday, I was um, on the train coming back from Washington, and I wrote a, I read a few stories that you know I really wasn't all that interested in, but I read them anyway. And they seem now pretty interesting. The use of robots to be to replace tennis tennis officials. I thought, well, that's that's pretty interesting <laughs> and something I could talk to my tennis friends about. Or the fact that in the, the playoff games in baseball right now, we have a, a new paradigm where the starters are actually dominating the game and not the bullpen and not the hitters. And I found that pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And of course, I read. Uh, I was an avid reader of the gentleman who ran a marathon in one hour, 59 minutes, and 50 seconds, and how he did it, and what were the limitations, and what are the arguments about what he did, all, you know, stuff that's not critical to me, but things uh, that are, I, I find interesting because I force myself to read some of these things that I would normally gloss over. To go back to that article about robots in tennis, I have to think that as former governor of a big manufacturing state, Artificial intelligence and automation probably weighs pretty heavily on your mind. Do you give a lot of thought to how that might impact Ohio, the whole nation, heck, the whole world? Oh, yeah. I mean, workforce changes are absolutely critical. In Ohio, when I was there, I was trying to make it less dependent on manufacturing and trying to diversify what made Ohio, what makes Ohio run. And that includes uh, the development of new technologies. I want Ohio to be you know, an, an idea, a thought state, a, uh, a place where new ideas come rather than just making things. And that's great to make things. That's important to us. But there are other ways in which we can help develop our economy in Ohio. And we did just that. Well, getting back to the book, you make a case in here that we can get more involved in our local issues because we can rely on the Supreme Court and Congress to keep the president in check. Governor, maybe that's how it worked when you were in Congress, but I have to push back on that a little bit because I really question whether that's still the case. Presidential power has been expanding for more than a century now, and particularly for the past three years, it seems like Republicans in Congress have just deferred to Trump on every issue as if Congress is just a subsidiary of the executive now. Do you still feel that our checks and balances are working? Well, of course, the House is Democrat, so that's a check in and of itself. And the courts are a check. If you take a look at a lot of the things that Donald Trump wanted to do, they've been blocked by the courts. Mm -hmm. So what I try to say is that there is no one entity that has all the power. The executive is checked by the Congress. The executive is checked by the courts. The Congress is checked by the courts. I mean, that's kind of the way it works. And in your first chapter on starting a movement, you actually say social change doesn't come from politicians. The people tell them what they want to happen. And certainly when we look at all the great social movements of the past century, it's usually come from the bottom up. 
And especially today, I wonder, it seems like fewer and fewer politicians in Washington are brave enough to rely on their own conscience. Maybe the people would be doing them a favor by telling them what to do. Yeah, I think that's right. I think people are hesitant to tell people in power what they ought to do mm-hmm. uh, because they just feel like, well, what's, that's not my place. But it is your place. The people who are elected, whether they're in Congress, whether they're in the city council or the local school board, they're there to serve you. You're not there to serve them. So the more that you can express your views, either individually or in a group, um, I think the more impact you'll have, the more successful we'll be as a country. In that same chapter, you single out the teenage environmental activist Greta Thunberg for praise. That might surprise some people, especially Republicans. What do you admire most about her? Well, Ben, first of all, I got to tell you, I don't think of myself like, okay, I'm a Republican. (laughs) Right. I think of myself as an American. I think of myself Mm -hmm. as a try to be a, you know, a man of faith. Uh, I don't, I don't like look through some prism, you know, a red prism to figure out how I feel. And it really doesn't matter to me if people don't like the people that I hold up in this book. I mean, I'd, (laughs) I'd like them to understand why I put them in the book. This was a 15 year old girl that stood outside the parliament and protested saying that I'm worried about my future and I'm worried about my environment. And she just stood there. That's all she did. And then she was there like every day for a while. Then she decided she could only be there one day a week. And now she's become, you know, created an international movement of people who are concerned about about the environment mm-hmm. and about the earth. And I, I think that's incredible. It's fantastic. Who would have thought it? <laughs> and, you know, she was just a 15-year-old girl. And now she's, you know, she's saluted all over the world for what she's done. It's, it's amazing what can happen when you stand up for something that's, that's correct. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more with Governor John Kasich when we come back in just a minute. I've had a lot of scientists and doctors on this podcast, and one thing they all agree on is the importance of sleep to your overall health and longevity. If you're struggling to get a good night's sleep, you've got to try Purple Mattress. The Purple Mattress will probably feel different than anything you've ever experienced because it uses this brand new material that was developed by actual rocket scientists. It's not like the memory foam you're used to. The Purple Mattress is both firm and soft at the same time, so it keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus, it's breathable, so it sleeps cool. Try it for 100 nights risk-free, and if you're not completely satisfied, you can return your mattress for a full refund. It's backed by a 10-year warranty, plus you get free shipping and returns. You're going to love Purple. And right now, you'll get a free Purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to the great free gifts they're offering site-wide. Just text KICK to 84888. The only way to get this free pillow is to text KICK to 84888. That's KICK, K-I-C-K, to 84888. Message and data rates may apply. Life is full of choices, and Belkin offers a variety of tech solutions that keep you connected to your world, so you never miss a beat. Between Belkin cables, screen protectors, and wireless charging docks, Belkin is the go-to brand for keeping your smartphone ready to go at any time. Belkin cables are built to last and supported with a five-year warranty. 
So if you feel like you're constantly buying new chargers because they break or burn out, we've all been there, you should switch to Belkin. And with all of our personal information that's stored on them, you can also get a Belkin Privacy screen protector to reclaim your privacy. Belkin's wireless charging stands and docks work with multiple smartphones and prop your phone up so you can keep watching videos while charging. I've been using Belkin products for a long time now. I have multiple Belkin wires and chargers I've been using for years. I drop them, I roll over them with my desk chair, I really do abuse them, and they still have not let me down once. That's why I'm such a loyal Belkin customer. Better performance, better durability, better quality, better with Belkin. Go to Belkin.com and use promo code KICKASS at checkout for a 30% discount. This offer is good until the end of January, so go now to Belkin.com and use code KICKASS for 30% off. And now, back to the show. Governor Kasich, I have to tell you, when I talk to Democrats, you come up all the time as the one Republican that they'd actually consider voting for right now. And I'll be honest, I don't think that it's just a case of you're the least objectionable person on the right. They genuinely seem to like you. Why do you think that is? Well, it's very nice that people say that about me. I, I'm grateful for it. Um, I think probably that's why. Um I've never, I've never, never governed as a governor who was, you know, Republican first. I was an Ohioan. I tried to carry out my responsibilities in Washington, um, you know, right down the middle on the political parties. Uh, I mean, I am a Republican. Okay, I am a conservative, but I mean, what does that mean today? It means different things to different people. For sure. And so, uh, I don't. I'm grateful that people are kind, and I'm glad they're. They're positive about me. Not everybody is by any stretch, but, you know, it's good. And I think part of it comes from just being yourself. Mm -hmm. That's what I try to tell people. Be yeah. yourself and, uh, you know, and check how you're being with your friends, your family. And if you're doing fine, just proceed, whatever you're working on. And you admit in here that sometimes it can be a lonely road to stand up for what you believe. You must know something about that, even today. Well, for everybody, for sure. everybody. I mean, Greta Thunberg has been attacked. The students down in Parkland have been attacked. If you're trying to change something in your kid's school, if you want to get the lights on on Friday night so they could play soccer, you got to stir something up. <laughs> no matter what you do, if you're in, you the, in the office and you see something you don't like and you say something, it always tends to create an upsetting of the status quo, which means that criticism will come your way. So what? That's that's about a having a full life and just be prepared for it. It won't be that bad, depending on what you want to do. Um, most of the time, it won't be that bad, and you'll feel good about the fact that you saw something you felt strongly about and you went about doing mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing here, but I think Winston Churchill said something along those lines of, uh, you know, if you do something and someone's upset about it, then you know you're doing something right. Absolutely. <laughs> Particularly today, does it feel a little bit like you're swimming against the stream when here you are preaching neighborliness and kindness to others in a political environment that seems to be overtly hostile to those ideas? I, I don't feel I'm going against the, uh, the stream. I feel like... Um you know, that uh, I'm doing my thing and and it's up to everybody to kind of do their thing. So mm -hmm. I don't I don't get depressed about this. I, I not at all. I, if I was depressed and and cynical, I wouldn't have written the book. Yeah. Yeah. And it is simple. a very hopeful. But I think book. no, I don't I don't feel and I again, 
everything I do in life is not a reflection of what I see in politics, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. You admit in here that there have been times when you've been a little gruff or maybe a little short with people when you're running around and people want to chit chat with you. (laughs) You're almost a little bit famous for, for kind of being a get to the point kind of guy. huh? Well, you know, it's not, it's something that I'm not proud of. And it's, you know, I sometimes, you know, don't have patience and I'm in a hurry, which is a mistake or, you know, people, I say something, I'm kind of kidding. They take it the wrong way or, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty direct and sometimes blunt and, I don't mean it to be offensive, but, you know, I mean, sometimes I just am a jerk. I mean, it's just the way it is. I have been. Um, but I don't like that. I don't want to be that way. And uh, and I'm better. Um, but I'm never going to be perfect. Not at all. But if you meet me and you talk to me, you know, you're not going to be confused in most cases about about who I am or what I might think. And sometimes I have to think that it must be the demands of the job. I mean, it, it has to distract from the things that are important or sometimes the no, kind of personal No, I think it's true with everybody. You know, really? you ever notice when you're you're walking through your business or whatever and you're with other people and you say to them, how you doing? And you never hear their answer. I mean, right. this, is, this is everybody. There's not... Oh, any any person, look, to whom much is given, much is expected. So mm-hmm. to say, okay, well, I'm busy or I'm important and therefore I don't have time, that's just, that's terrible. Yeah. Frankly, I, that's a that's a one-way road to uh, uh, to being knocked off of whatever pedestal you think you're on, yeah. you know? <laughs> We're all going to die. I don't know if you know that, Ben. We're, <laughs> nobody's getting out of this place alive. So why don't we think about the way we should be and how we want to be remembered. Mm-hmm. That's another part of this book. Yeah. Uh, looking back at your political career, would you have considered yourself a workaholic? Well, I would say I kind of followed a lot of the philosophy of, of Reagan, which is to figure out what, what I want to do, uh, empower other people to do what it is that I think we should do, that check on them, but to give them, you know, a lot of autonomy and ability mm-hmm. to to do the things that, that I want to be done, I want done in a way that they can kind of figure it out themselves. Yeah. So, you know, if you're working around me, it's, it's kind of a fun, uh, you know, nothing all that formalized way in which to achieve things. And I know that you're a big golfer, Governor, and you say in here that it's actually helped you to slow down and be a little more mindful. Is golf sort of your version of meditation? Well, you know, to be honest with you, I'm better at that. Some of my friends have told me, because I used to be pretty good. I'm not as good as I used to be, and it's frustrating. And some of my friends have said, John, why don't you enjoy it more? And I am enjoying it more now, but it does take all of my attention when I'm out there. My focus is on what I'm doing. I'm not thinking about other things, which Mm -hmm. is really good. But exercise does it for me. Swimming does it. And um, and uh, praying, all those things can help me to slow down and enjoy things a little bit more and not be in such a hurry. Yeah, I have to say, golf has only frustrated me every time I've played. <laughs> so. It is not made for any, everyone, and if you haven't yeah. taken it up, I'd advise you not to start now. Yeah, yeah, that's probably yeah. true. Yeah, I mean, President Trump has spent uh, something like 150 days on the golf course since taking office, and... He seems to always be angry and wound up. Is he doing it wrong or what? (laughs) I'm not going to criticize a president who wants to play golf. You never know. Yeah. 
Uh, well, at one point in the book, uh, you express frustration with those who, when they look at the political debates these days, just throw up their hands and say, and I hear this a lot, I just don't know what to believe. Do you think that's lazy thinking? No, I think it's confusing because there's so much material going around. And mm-hmm. so if you really want to know what's going on, sample a lot of things like a smorgasbord and use your good brain to figure out what you believe is true and what you think isn't. Mm-hmm. But you can't say, okay, well, I'm not sure, so I ought to stop paying attention. No, I don't think it's that at all. I think they're bombarded with information. Human beings want to know the truth, and a lot of times the same story is presented in very compellingly different ways. So you just kind of read through the lines and don't make up your mind and don't tweet everything you see. Mm-hmm. Part of the thing that people need to do more of is just simply try to put themselves in other people's shoes. You talk about that as well. And you have one yes. example in here of a judge who started something called the catch court. What is that? Well, that was a case where, you know, human traffic victims, and these were women who had been put out into the streets kept coming to court and the same thing over and over again, prostitution, drug use. He finally figured out that these were people who had been who had been put into you know made, you know, modern day slaves. Wow. And so he started a way in which they could get their lives back. And it's been very successful. My wife has been very involved in lending support to that. The judge is an incredible guy to have done something like that. And um you know, it's something like that. But let me also say, you know, when you think about, well, like immigrants, you know, people are like, well, you don't need all those people. Wait a minute. What if they were in trouble? What if you were them? Mm-hmm. What if you weren't born in the United States? What if you had children who were at risk as to where you were living? What would you do? Or, you know, here you are, you're you're poor, you're a single mom with some kids, your husband left you, you need some help. You need some food stamps. You need some help to get through this period of time. Put yourself in their shoes. Think about what their lives are like. You know that's what brings about uh, that's what that's what brings about compassion mm-hmm. when you can think about other people. You know, as, as I look at at some of the things that happen in the world, uh, the poverty, the wars. I mean, thank God we live here in America, and there are people who live in America who are just really having such a time, a hard time with their lives. Yeah. Instead of being so, too judgmental, and that doesn't mean you can't have an opinion, but in, instead of jumping to the conclusion, think about who they are and what they're going through. Because I believe most people have good hearts, uh, and they can understand, uh, you know, we need to be patient. Yeah, do we have to have people responsible? Of course we do. But that doesn't mean it's it's just one way or the other. Sometimes it's it's complicated. And I suppose all of this might fall under the heading of love thy neighbor. What's your favorite example in here of someone loving their neighbor or doing some simple kindness for someone else? Well, how about that? How about that story of of Chuck E. Cheese, where yeah. uh, you know the, the autistic boy would go every week, and he would he would see Chuck E. Cheese, and he got there late, and Chuck E. Cheese was gone, and it was going to be a bad situation, and young lady working at the place, went and put on the Chuck E. Cheese costume and went out and made the kid feel good. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of loving your neighbor, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Everyone is made in the image, I believe, in the image of God, and so we have to to realize that people are special, and they may not be our cup of tea, it may be frustrating, it may be difficult, but 
that's okay, you know, because respect is is what it's all about in terms of one human being to another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that story. And so, if people who are listening and they go, "Okay, well, I don't go to Chuck E. Cheese or whatever," okay, fine. <laughs> go next door. Ask the lady who lost her husband. Hey, what can I do for you? Can I help you out a little bit? Mm-hmm. How you doing? How you feeling? You know, um, just slow down a little bit. Talk to other people. See see what's up with them. Love mm-hmm. your neighbor as you want your neighbor to love you. Well, I believe you say that you wrote this book in the spring of this year, and in here you predicted that when the book is published, (laughs) you say, by this point, the president will have said or done something to leave Democrats calling for his ouster and Republicans reiterating their unflagging support. Governor, you could you know, not have been more spot on. That I said that, but <laughs> yeah. you know that's kind of where we are. Yeah, unfortunately. Are you the least yeah. bit surprised by what's going on right now? No, I'm not, and it's tragic. And uh, I love my country. I want it, and we, as we all do, and we want it to be strong. And we are strongest when we're together. Mm-hmm. You know what do they say? A house divided cannot stand. stand. Right? A house divided just isn't going to make it. So. Mm-hmm. I hope this is just a passing a passing current and that we will find ourselves in a better place before we know it. And in that same section, you also predicted that a few Republican candidates might have emerged to challenge our incumbent president. So far, Trump has had no serious threat from within the party. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's fundamentally because people have to figure out if they're going to take on a race for president, they ought to have a pretty good prospect of winning. Mm -hmm. And so the Republican Party is, you know, 80 percent behind Donald Trump. And, you know, it's it's pretty hard to win a race when you start out down 80, 80 to to 20. And your name has been rumored as a potential challenger for a while. Uh, You decided, at least as of this recording, not to run. Was that part of your political calculus there? Well, I'm not going to run for something if I can't win. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's still, I still haven't made any final determination or any announcement. So we're just going to have to see. Well, let me ask you this. Even if the cards are stacked against you, might you not see some value in going on the record right now as the Republican who stood up and challenged President Trump when no other Republican would? No, I'm on record now. I I work in media at CNN, I write books. I'm going to be doing a podcast. I make speeches okay. all over. I'm not a I'm not a guy who enters demolition derbies just to go make a statement. I'm okay. not doing that. Theoretically, what if the president got impeached? Would you consider running? Uh, I'm, I'm not getting into theor- okay. you know no no theoretically. I made <laughs> enough predictions in this book. I'm out of predictions. <laughs> okay. I'm not making any more predictions. <laughs> Well, in the book, you suggest that readers should spend time thinking about eternity. Yeah. Is that something you do a lot of these days? Ah, think about it all the time. You know, yeah. life is short. You know, in the morning, the grass comes up, the flowers are beautiful, and then the hot wind blows across the grasses and the flowers. And before we know it, they're gone. In many respects, never to be remembered, never to be remembered again. Yes. Hmm. But I believe in a life that's that's to come, and I do believe that the things that we do here will help us to assume important roles in the life yet to come. So that's why I am optimistic in the face of a lot of things that we see in the world that can break your heart. Well, since we're on the subject, you give a shout-out to the late obituary writer Jim Nicholson, who died while you were writing the book, and he was sort of famous for his posthumous tributes to quote-unquote yeah. ordinary people. 
Before we go, since we're pondering eternity here, have you given much thought to what you'd like to read in your own obituary? Well, I, I, I guess I would want people to say he was, you know, straight up and cared about people and, uh, and didn't just care about himself. He cared about others, and uh, he led a full life, and, uh, and it was a good life. And I think you say in here that you'd like to work it out so that eventually 70% of what people say about you is true. How's that going? Yeah, I moved that up to 80%. Now. <laughs> oh, I'd really? like whatever they say about me when I'm dead, at least 80% of it to be true, <laughs> and only 20% made up. <laughs> That's ambitious. <laughs> and the book is called It's Up to Us, 10 Little Ways We Can Bring About Big Change. John Kasich, thanks for talking and, with hey, me. And Ben, I'll tell you what, it's a book not just for a limited group. Mm-hmm. It's for your kids, it's for you, and it's for your parents. Well, Governor Kasich, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Ben. You're a good man. Thank you. Thanks again to Governor Kasich for coming on the show. Order his new book, It's Up to Us, 10 Little Ways We Can Bring About Big Change, on Amazon, Audible, or wherever books are sold. Look for him frequently as a political contributor on CNN and keep up with him at johnkasich.com or on Twitter at at John Kasich. Today's episode is brought to you by Kronos. Kronos provides HR solutions for the modern workforce and the people who support, motivate, and engage them. They put HR, payroll, talent, and timekeeping on a single cloud-based platform. Learn more about Kronos HR payroll talent and time at Kronos.com slash HR Swagger. That's Kronos.com slash HR Swagger. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and rate and review us while you're there. Five-star ratings and detailed reviews are one of the best ways for new listeners to discover the show. You can also follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at at KickassNewsPod and recommend us to your friends on your social media. For more fun stuff, visit KickassNews.com and I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at KickassNews.com. For now, I'm Ben Mathis and thanks for listening to Kickass News.